Welcome to Thrill Seekers Radio. We are part of Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Today I am joined by Caroline Kepnes. Um, very happy to have her on the show. And as a housekeeping reminder, this episode with Caroline and all other episodes of Thrill Seekers are available uh, at Authors on the Air's website and also www.alexstolen.com. Uh, Caroline, welcome to the show. Thank you, Alex. Thanks and, for having me. And thank you. You are incredibly busy right now, so I'm I'm very happy that you made time for this. Um, yeah, I'm a little I'm a little bit of a crazy person because I'm in the like in the final stages of finishing this draft of my book. So, yeah, so it's good to talk out loud. <laughs> um, so is this is this book three that you're doing at this point? Um, this will be my fourth book. It's not a Joe book. It's a it's a new book, like a standalone. Okay. Um, and so just to, if you have not heard of Caroline Kepnes, you should, um, because she's a fantastic writer. And um, I, uh, you, Y-O-U, for people listening, is the first book. Uh, and Hidden Bodies is the second book. But um, let, let's talk about this. And part of the reason I wanted to have you on is before this became a show, when the show is fantastic, I just was really captivated by your writing voice and, and I, it was so fresh for me. I just was wanted to talk to you about it. <laughs> wanted, wanted to let other folks know about the, to, to be able to read the book. Um, tell I us, mean, thank uh, you. That's, yeah. <laughs> That's wonderful to hear. You know what? Before we even get to you, you are a, a Cape Cod native. I am here right now. Yes. Where, the where greatest time of the year. We're on Cape. I'm on the from Cape. Centerville. Uh, in Barnstable, in yeah. I am so I'm from uh, Boston originally, and my sister has a place down in in Bourne. Oh, very nice. Yeah, so I, That's I a find good my sister you got there. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah they, they they live in Bridgewater, and they have a, a place in Bourne um, for the summer. And uh, yeah, no, so I'm I'm a New England guy too. Very nice. Are right, and where outside are you outside of Boston? I'm in California now. So oh, okay. I'm, I'm right in the San Francisco Bay Area. Okay. Yeah, and I, I live in LA. Ah, okay. So do you, like, do you care that the Red Sox are in the World Series? Oh, my God. I'm so excited. <laughs> I mean, nothing. I was just talking about this with a friend today. Like, it's, in a way, it's hard to go from, don't you think, like, playing the Yankees, that amazing series that was, like, every single moment was either painful or like, excruciating or just fantastic. And it was hard to then get it up for the Astros just because it's like, we beat yeah. the Yankees and I feel wired that that's it. You know, and it was like, Oh my God, now this, and then that got good. And this to me is exciting. I mean, my friend today was like, it's not the same. Like it's, we won, you know, we already did this. We won, but I feel it. I'm excited. All right, <laughs> what good. about you? You're still, no, I'm, I'm, I'm there. I, uh, I think I like, I was, I was disengaged. For, like I was, I grew up with the Red Sox, and I like was a huge, huge Red Sox fan growing up. And then somewhere around like the late '90s, I kind of disengaged. I think it was around a, like mm-hmm. one of those big strikes. And then I became a fair weather fan again, right as they kind of went up to the 2004 win. And um, and then I happened to be lucky enough to to be in Boston the night that they actually won the series, and that was like. Oh, wow. It was like Boston just exploded. Uh, And it was amazing. Uh, And also, that was a great time. Yeah. I would like to go in a time machine to go back to that night and be in Boston and see all that. Where were you when it happened? I was in L.A. I was in my home. I had some friends over. And, yeah, I mean, what a moment. 
But I think that baseball, like the disengaging, I mean, this will sound like a rationalization, but it's almost like the sport allows that because there is so much like what looks like lollygagging. Mm-hmm. And that's something I like about it that like, I'll beat myself up. Like I don't deserve to wear a hat this year. I didn't watch any games, but then I'm like, no, like it's, it's bigger than that. If you love them, you love them. And there, you can't watch every single game. I mean, you can, but wow, that's a lot of games. Yeah. I, I'm going to make a very douchey hypothesis, which is that, which is that, uh, so this, this show caters to readers and, and writers of thrillers, whatever that means to you. And I think yeah. a lot of people, um, I was just doing a panel for a writing festival here in the Bay Area, and we were talking about some people were really into uh, the puzzle aspect of thrillers, and that's something that kind of like mm. piqued their inter- intellectual curiosity. And it's kind of like, that's the thing I always liked about baseball. It's that it's not like basketball where it's a mile a minute and just the pacing is, is relentless. Mm-hmm. You have tension because the tension is created by this kind of setup where you're like, there's, there's sort of a puzzle strategy of, of, uh, that doesn't exist in some other sports. And, uh, oh, I could not agree I, yeah. more. So it maybe, is such a thriller writer sport, don't you think, because of the dread that's inherent, like in that last game with the Astros, maybe not the last game, but we knew what was going on. Like to me, like we're, we're comfortable when we're losing because we know how to lose and like we know how to come <laughs> back, but yeah. it's like the natural state of a Red Sox fan. And in that game, we have that lead, but it's not a big lead. And that pitcher walks out there and you just know, like this, we didn't win. <laughs> like, and then he walks <laughs> one after the other and those slow non-battles. And especially, I've been thinking about this so much lately. I'm so happy you brought it up because these games have been so good for my writing where I survive those games and then I go back to what I'm writing. I'm like, no, like this thing, I have to up the ante here. Like this, I have to spell it out. Like this has to feel more so excruciating. <laughs> well, the other thing that happens in baseball that really happens in, in no other sport is that everything can turn. Like everything can turn mm-hmm. on and out. And like, you, if, you're, yeah. like if you're in the NBA and you're down 36 points to the Golden State Warriors, chances are everyone knows how the game's going to end <laughs> and, and mm-hmm. very rarely will that change. But you literally can have like a game go into like 20 innings if you want, or, you know, you could have one out and like you could be down eight runs and then come back. And that happens quite a bit in baseball and that doesn't happen in other sports. So, so that, true that because it's the beautiful absence, yeah. the beautiful absence of the clock. I mean, the fact that there is no clock is just the magic of it. And that's like, there's a hor- horrifying, beautiful thing about that (laughs) (laughs) exactly yeah you're right there is that moment of dread where you think you're going to make it out and then you know as Mm -hmm. red sox we know how to lose and so we we know how that on the first floor of the house and yeah she could walk out that door but nope (laughs) yeah how come you just didn't call the cops you had your cell phone Mm -hmm. on you all the time (laughs) (laughs) yep (laughs) it is how on earth to be a red sox fan (laughs) <laughs> and it is hell on earth to, you know, read some books like that that make you, that just fill you with fear. So, yeah. <laughs> so this is a, a nice softball segue into you, um, which is a book that is sort of deliciously full of, of dread. <laughs> and for those <laughs> folks who aren't familiar with it, um, set it up for us. Um, I'm, I'm never so good at this to me. Like, I, I always start talking about the plot and the circumstances when really me in essence it's you're it's a trip into this man's head and this guy he in one minute he's raving about something that he loves a book 
uh, a little observation about life and you're with him. And it's about how we, we almost stay with ourselves in spite of the bad things we do, except it's on a more extreme level where he's violating this woman's boundaries and murdering her friends. But it's tricky because at the same time, you do like him and you identify and you relate to him on some levels. It's that, about that gray area. Yeah, it's that weird uncanny valley where it makes it that much more unsettling because there are parts of him that, that you can relate to. Like, mm-hmm. So for those who aren't familiar, so Joe is the, the main character. And that's, that's exactly what, what drew me in is, is just, it's great. Uh, you, you really get inside this guy's head and he's, he works at a bookstore and is sort of the, the uber stalker. <laughs> um, and... Um, <laughs> there are things that you sort of kind of like about the guy. And then you realize like how easy it is to kind of pervert thinking into something that's horrible. Yeah. Um, and, then, yeah. and then I feel like a lot of, a lot of your characters are kind of like they're people that we all know. Like we all know a bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. I lived in New York. I'm for sorry for that, but yes, we do. <laughs> well, we totally know a Benji. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, and by the and way, we know the way that Benji makes us feel. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. And I, um, the one of my favorite scenes, I uh, this is the sort of the scene that I was like, oh my god, I have to have you on the show. Is the scene of the the coke the cola tasting? <laughs> which, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I won't spoil <laughs> it for people, but it was just oh, it's so good. <laughs> um, <laughs> But so, yeah, we, we all know, like, uh, Benji, um, we, in terms of the, so you really get inside somebody's head. And this is one of, one of the things I thought was very powerful about the book is that you, the voice, it's all about the voice of Joe, because that's, that's what's driving. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you get to sort of see how he's looking at something that we would look at it and completely misinterpreting the, the cues t- to his own end. Um, yeah. Talk about like, so where did Joe come from and how did you build that character? Um, I, so I went through really a year from hell where I, I, my father passed away after an excruciating long illness and I had moved home to help my parents and close down their business. And then my mom was also sick. It was like this magnitude of hell <laughs> just worked. And my dad was a very funny, like had a sick sense of humor and would try to laugh, but then there, there's darkness. And then when someone's dying, like it's dark. Yeah. And then once he passed away, it was like this bleak reentry into reality. And I had all of these other, like just life problems. Like my identity was stolen. I had trouble with a subletter. And I was like, how can this be that like my resting mind is like, I miss my dad. And then I'm on hold with the, unemployment department because a check got lost. You know what I mean? It was like this like massive, just like shitstorm. And I tried to write books before and I always was a little distant and I'd always felt much more comfortable in short stories because it was like, Oh, I know for a fact that this is probably going to be less than 25 pages. So I can go into this weird, crazy place that feels like home to me because I'm not going to sustain it. And one day I just sat down and was like, it, I, you know, I needed something. I needed like a new, a security blanket, an escape, a, a new place to go. And the voice came to me like slowly over, like I wrote that first chapter many times. And I realized like, oh, this isn't a book. It's just a giant short story. It's just going to be a bunch of short stories where you're, you're in this weird place with this guy and it feels like it's like on a different level. 
and you don't think you can stay there, but each chapter, that's my job. So like, I'm just going to approach it like a short story. I'm going to make it this accelerated place where things move fast and you're, you have to stay with him to keep up and you want to get off the ride, but you can't instead of thinking of it as like a novel. And then of course, as I'm writing, I was figuring out the novel and the story and I always knew how it was going to end. And in that process, like found all the other characters and they all became real to me and you know, their own, their own Joes to say. So yeah, <laughs> that's the short <laughs> Did, I mean, did he, uh, I mean, was he, so he was kind of like came out of this, this space of calamity for you. Did. did yeah. Well, it's, it has to do with you like, sorry. No, no. no um, were there, were there people that you drew from for him as well? Or was it just like this nebulous place of where bad things were happening? Yeah. One of my coping mechanisms with all of this, like for when my dad was sick, but also my whole life, like we all relate. It's like watching movies that make you feel better like romantic comedies like you've got mail where the worst thing that happens is like a woman loses her business when you're in a dark place and you watch these and a lot of these movies the men like they they don't take no for an answer they we all just take we accept them as like wonderful men but tom hanks and you've got mail like he puts her out of business he stalks her he shows up into her house shows up her house when she's sick and she says no and he gets upstairs and I was just in this cynical, but like also laughing place of like, oh God, it's just all such bull, you know, <laughs> like it's, yeah, yeah. we're, we're all messed up and like, there are no good, like there, there's no such thing as like a good guy in, in the world. The same way there's no such thing as a Meg Ryan who like loves daisies and has never had a nasty thought, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so all of that, like the fire of like, kind of wondering, I think that when you, when you deal with grief and you're like why am I like this like at the same time you're beating yourself up for like I should be grateful for what I have I should be this I should be that and then when you kind of self-medicate with things that used to make you feel better and now they seem like ridiculous but you still love them it just all of that went into the book like that's where there are so many books and movies in there and then all of that too is when people would say to me like oh you've got to move on with your life like you should consider internet dating this that you know moving on and then I'm like how, how, this is all there's something like deeply screwed up about a world where someone tells you like you look at someone's picture and they like a movie you like so you just presume that like oh that means that we're the same person and we're you know going to get along <laughs> right right there's the, there's the full fantasy that you map out um yeah 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 i uh so there's a there's a podcast that i'm uh, kind of addicted to that i think you might like as well and listeners may like called behind the bastards and mm. it's an investigative journalist that basically had, brings in a comic to do a sort of like a cold interview about somebody horrible like Harvey Weinstein. Um, and so <laughs> I'm bringing it up because, you know, <laughs> some of the people on the show directly relate to this. And um, yeah. we did a really interesting segment on Bill Cosby. And, um, and they basically talked about how one thing that people don't really still accept about human behaviors that you can be the guy that runs all these charities and does all these amazing things and you can still be the guy that rapes 60 people and it like in some cases yeah. mm -hmm. sometimes the energy comes from the same place and it's really messed up but that's sort of the fluidity of who people are and that's the thing that's scary about being a person too is if you make the wrong choices you can become a joke um mm -hmm. and or, i gotta listen to this podcast because yeah yeah or or you could be like joe could be a great guy if he didn't 
you know, you know, kill people <laughs> yep. or, or kidnap people. Um, and, or if that's what kept me going yeah. in the book that I was like, why do I, I still want them to be together. You know, like I still, even though I knew, like I told myself, I knew how it ended, but I was still like, wow, this, I, as long as someone says all these things, I'm still like, Oh, come on. You know, like love doesn't love fix everything. Isn't that what we're told? <laughs> well, and I thought that her character was, was really important too, because she's not, the manic pixie dream girl character and she's not uh, I mean she does things that right. are kind of selfish and um like she'll you know she'll tell Joe she's out somewhere but she's really like bringing some guy home that she just met mm-hmm. and then that's <laughs> and it's like it's not great but it's also it was very real for me in terms of what people do um and I thought that it was, yeah. I, I like the fact that you kind of like tread into that territory fearlessly mm-hmm. it's um, the best territory there is and what's what interesting <laughs> about the bill cosby thing is that like what i think isn't talked about enough that on a personal level like on a simple like brain memory level we all like if you're like i'm you know in my 40s so i'm like i grew up watching him and and he puts a smile on my face you know what i mean like those episodes are watching them in my family like i loved that show i loved him i it meant so much to me so it's a really like depressing thing to have to like take that smile, like that reaction and figure out what to do with it, you know, <laughs> and face the reality that like, right. that isn't a person, that's a character. And that's invented by writers who know that we, we need that kind of person to look at. And now we have, we're, we have fewer and fewer characters that we can feel that way about because of there's so we live in such a world and a culture of exposure, you know? Right. And, and that's the, I, one, of the, one of the interesting things about your books, too, is that, or at least the, this universe uh, that you're creating right now, where you, you know, I think I've, I've seen other folks start to do this, too, with depending on the, the different media platform or depending on, on the form in which you can show yourself to somebody, you can, can create a totally fictitious character. Like, with Joe, like mm-hmm. Joe has <laughs> yes. this palace of books that he hides behind, and you know people don't go back go back to his apartment really, <laughs> and people don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he, yep. you know, he's able to create, manufacture exactly who he thinks people should see, and he knows because exactly he's not on social media. He can have a life that's like that's more like social media. Mm-hmm. Right, and he because if he was at home taking selfies and you saw it, like. Bex bra in the background, you know, like it wouldn't be right. the same. <laughs> um, are there so? What is your personal relationship to Joe as a character? Do you like you root for him, or or do you? I like I root for him, and then I get mad that I'm rooting for him, and it's always the same in everything I write. That when when he does these bad things, like I always kind of underwrite them, and mm-hmm. and, and then I have to go back and be like, no, like he, you know, he's doing that. Like I have to get on board with it. I have to get to this place in my head. It's happening with this book I'm working on right now where there's a woman and she does something. And I kept realizing, I was like, oh God, I'm, I'm not even letting her do it. Like I have to not only let her do it, but like she has to explain why she's doing it. And yeah. <laughs> and that's the scary part, you know, because yeah, like it's, I, and it's where I feel for Penn Badgley who plays Joe, because from his perspective, here he is like this white guy going around killing women, you know, <laughs> like it's, not an easy thing to jump into and hear everyone say, I love Joe. I love Joe. But I understand 
from a reader perspective, when you're reading this book and you're with him, like you, you, I understand that love completely and the way it makes you contemplate the people you know and your, the way you rationalize your own behavior in milder ways. Well, but I, 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 I love his brain. <laughs> well, and actually, I thought I was really, uh, I mean, I, I hope you are too, because you're a producer on the show, but I was really impressed by how it got adapted because they are such tricky characters to play. And I, I think that the cast... Oh my God, I'm so thrilled with it. Job. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they like the book club on crack. Like Greg and Sarah, like they love the book. They were so intent on capturing that atmosphere and I just couldn't be happier. Like that it, it feels like the book, you know, like that's that when I think about adaptations, that's what matters the most to me. Yeah, they, I, they really seem to capture the tone. And, and I, was, I was just curious, like in the adaptation process, as, so you're a producer on the show. Uh, how mm-hmm. did you help shape their performances a little bit or were you a resource to them as they tried to figure out what these people were like? It was perfect. I was, I would read the scripts and give feedback and we'd talk about casting. And then I, you know, I wrote an episode that's on next week. I'm very excited for that. And I got to be in the writer's room and get to know everyone. It was to me like just the ideal position to be in with it, you know, where it wasn't, I'm not the executive producer. So it's not like I'm not the one making the final decision, which is great because I get to weigh in and I, and Sarah and Greg are like just really like smart, compassionate people and they want everyone to be happy and they want to do right by the book. So it was just good. Just, and now we're working on the second season based on the second book. That's very cool. And, yeah. I'm like uh, yeah, awful. I, yeah. And for people listening, I, I would, I highly recommend the show. Um, but I really do recommend the book first. And it's not just because I'm a book snob. I, I actually think that getting into the book and getting into kind of the brain of Joe, the central character, uh, you know, is sort of an instrumental in really appreciating the, the show and kind of what these actors do to bring that to life. Um, so you so you have three books out right now. Um, I've read the first two. The third one, which I think I got at VoucherCon this year, um, is that that is also a Joe book? Or is it? Um, no, the third one is Providence. That's a standalone that was out, yes, this summer. Yes, right. yes. Okay, okay. I was in, so it's Providence, and then the, when is your fourth book coming out? I mean, I hope late next year, but it's like, it's one of those publishing things. Like, I feel like if it's not late next year, it'll be early 2020. But, okay. was, you know, I hope, I always want things to, I always want them to come out tomorrow. You know, I'm not even like really done with this one, and I'm already in that, ah, can it, you know, can it be done? Can it be out? Well, I was going to ask you, with the the momentum that you have going on where you're, you know, you're working on the show and trying to produce new product, um, and you you were a TV writer for for a little bit. Yes, I'm, yeah, for, I did a year, I was on staff of The Secret Life of the American Teenager, and before that, I freelanced a couple episodes of Seventh Heaven. That, this is all where the line in you, you're so clean, you're dirty comes from. Well, <laughs> because I seventh heaven is one of those things I was just obsessed with. I'm like, it's not even like watching humans, you know? It's like watching puppies <laughs> pretending to be humans. <laughs> well, so uh, you know, I'll I'll edit this out if you don't want to talk about it. But when the, so when the scandal broke, you know, what, how did that impact you? Um, I you know it's 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 not dissimilar to the Cosby situation where 
and I don't, I don't know him very well, but I visited set. I wrote an essay for TV Guide about my experience writing, and I got my picture with the Camdens. And, you know, it's, again, one of those things that was on for, I think, 11 years. So it's just upsetting. It's too bad. You know, it's, it's, it's a letdown. Yeah. And, uh, but <laughs> it, it is. <laughs> it is. And then it's like, I don't, I don't know enough about it. Like, yeah, yeah no, that, that's fair. And, and I'm not, I'm not laughing at this at all. This is horribly dark places for us to go. Um, and it's for everybody involved. It's, it's awful. Uh, I, the, what I was inappropriately chuckling about is just kind of, thinking that this is a really interesting time to, to write this kind of psychological complexity um, because of everything that's coming out about people now. And we're, no, right? I feel like we're, we're learning a lot more about how people tick, or maybe we always knew it and we're just kind of accepting it now. Um, but it, uh, Well, it's also like we're all, we're all infants in this new world where we have these opportunities at our hand 24 hours a day. And I think yeah. it's going to be so interesting in like 50 years when this period is looked back on, because to me, it just feels like everyone is practicing. Everyone is learning of like, how am I going to be? How am I going to respond when Trump says this? What kind of a person am I? Am I someone who's going to tweet about it? Or am I going to tweet a picture of a puppy? Or am I going to not talk about it? It's like the amount of decisions that are made for people, no matter what side you're on, no matter what your life is that you have this opportunity to put things in writing at all times is so unique, you know, it's so new. It's and true. Yeah. I think, yeah, it's fascinating to me and yeah, nothing. I mean, it inspires me so much to write because we care. I mean, to me, like to, to remember a time in my life when I didn't carry a device around and I didn't have that opportunity and I didn't know that that would change. So it's like, it was all taken for granted. Right. Um, when, so when you started out as a as a TV writer, or when you uh, during that part of your career, did you did you grow out of writing prose and then going into entertainment writing, then going back to it, or how how did you morph in and I out? always I always wrote short stories, like since that's been my thing, like my whole life. And then I had worked as an entertainment journalist, and in college I studied playwriting and I'm fiction writing and I mean I always wanted like I wanted always wanted to write creatively and write all different things and then writing about tv really made me want to write tv and I kind of like I started writing specs and I was just like fascinated by all things television and then I got my seventh heaven work and but throughout that whole time I was always writing short stories like it was that was just my like I couldn't I love prose it's a different kind of writing and I love that you, I mean, to me, like, it's because I love to read and it's such a unique, like reading a book is so much different from watching anything. It's just the way you engage with the material. One's not better than the other. To me, they're just like totally different. And I love to write because it makes me feel like I'm reading, you know, it's that kind of piece where it's that full absorption and you can't like be on your phone while you're writing, but you can be on your phone while you watch something, you know? And so yeah, I never stopped writing prose. It was, I just was, I didn't know that I would get to make this like the focus, which is a dream come true. Right. So this leads me back to an earlier question, um, which, so now that you have all this momentum behind you and you're, you're juggling a lot of things, do you feel like it's, it's kind of straining your ability to find time or do you just feel like you're in the flow and things are just kind of flowing out? Uh, yeah, I'm in the flow. And honestly, like when I wrote my first book, I had a job with like, I was on call for an entertainment website. 
So I never knew my schedule for the most part. And it would be like, here comes this email. Like you have to write this right now and it's due in, in one hour and that kind of thing, you know, and you have to go to this event right now. And I wrote the book during that because nothing makes you maximize your time, like having time constraints. And then when things happened with the book and I was like traveling, it was, you know, it was exciting and nice, but I was like, oh, 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 like now there's all this time. We all know there's nothing like eight hours where you don't quote unquote have to do anything. So now what's nice is that like, between the, the, we can get back to the Red Sox, those <laughs> world, the, the Red Sox games and the, you know, the, the work for the show and all of this like reduces my time in the most wonderful way because it's all very inspiring and like exciting and then when I have time to write, it's like, oh my God, I'm so happy that like I get to do this right now. So for me, it's been ideal because that's the journalist in me. Like I love deadlines. I love that ticking clock and that helps me a lot. That's a, that's a by the way, congratulations, Nicole, back to the Red Sox. Right, right. Uh, I want to remind everybody we've been talking to Caroline Kepnes. Uh, she's the author of several books. You is the one, Y-O-U is the one that I would start with, Hidden Bodies, um, Providence, and which is uh, something I'm going to dig into. Um, and of course, the TV series, which is really amazing, you as well. Um, I want to remind you, you're listening to Thrill Seekers Radio. We are part of Authors on the Air, Global Radio Network. And this is a trademark copyrighted podcast solely owned by Authors on the Air, Global Radio Network, LLC. Um, so, uh, Caroline, uh, for people that wanted to dig in or wanted to find out more uh, about you, other than digging into your work, how what's the best place for them to? Where's the best place for them to go? Well, I'm on. Let's see. I'm on. I have an author page on Facebook. I'm on Twitter in a very responsive, retweety kind of way. Like I don't. I don't think I'm the most entertaining person every day. So. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm on Instagram. And I will never in a million years be on Snapchat. I just plain don't like it. I don't like those dog ears. I don't, that was the one that I was like, nope, not for me. And then if you stock my name with the word short story, like I, I have a lot of short stories out there. Oh, so okay. That's a Do you have any short stories uh, coming out? Um, no, I mean, it's right. You know, that's the one thing like right now when I'm in this book, like there's, it's like, there's, there are no short stories. I have a collection that I hope to get out there sometime in the next couple of years that's sitting there. And I added a couple of stories to it last year, but, um, we'll see about that. I hope so. So as a, a fellow Californian, do you, how often do you get back to the, to New England? I come back a lot. I, especially like I remember last October, I was like, I swear, like it's 85 degrees. This is unnatural. Next year, I will get back there. So I'm here. <laughs> but of course, you know how it is in New England. Like last week, it was like 56 degrees. Like, look at, I'm going swimming at 16, almost 70. It's not like that this week, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah, I hear the weather dipped pretty, pretty substantially this week. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's the word for it. Well, enjoy How about that. you? Do you come back a lot? <laughs> you know, that, that's the thing. I, I do. My mom and my sister's family lives out there. And I had this weird, because I also lived in New York for a little while. I had this Oh, weird, me too. Yeah, yeah. I, I was on the Upper West Side. Um, nice. Yeah. Um, where, where were you in the city? And were you near where the bookstore would have been? Well, it's funny. I, I literally lived on Bank Street where Beck lives. Oh, Okay. <laughs> Like I completely like the, her whole neighborhood was that was yeah that's where I lived on West Fourth and Bank. Then we had rent control, and I left when we didn't. 
<laughs> I looked at places down there and was, I, I, I mean, I loved that street. Um, but you know, nothing, nothing came up. So yeah. I, yeah. Um, <laughs> but I had this weird pang that I don't know if you get, which is kind of like, we don't get it in California anymore, which is that sort of that chill in the air at the beginning of winter where it's kind of dark at five o'clock and maybe there's a little snow that yeah. comes down and there's like, maybe there's a little hint of somebody burning a wood fire in the, in the distance and, um, and mm -hmm. crispness to it that you don't, you just don't get living out here. That, and I, I like, No, it's so like, specific. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I, I like, I would like to have like a couple days of that a year if I, if I had my druthers. Um, yes, it's, it's like one year I came home and it's so easy to romanticize and I was like, okay, I gotta go home in February because every day I'm like, what if I move back to New York and it's just like walking around in an episode of Sex in the City with leaves falling and perfect and I'm like, no, I need to go in winter. Like, to remember like, the boring tedium of the cold, the pain of it. Right, right. Because when you grow up with all those magic moments, your brain just like buries the, what the days were actually like when those moments led to the next part, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, wherever I've lived, I always kind of have romantic fantasies of where I used to live. So when I was in New York, I mm. would go <laughs> as being like a place full of rainbows where birds would land on my shoulder and <laughs> And then I'd like come back and visit and it would be like all needles on the ground. <laughs> yes. <laughs> just, just, yep, the birds are the, now the needles. <laughs> exactly. Um, all right, um, Caroline, uh, again, reminding everybody, Caroline Kepnes, I highly recommend you go um, read you, Hidden Bodies, see the show. Um, and Caroline, you're incredibly busy and I am very happy that you made the time to come on the show and it was a pleasure talking to you. Well, this is fun. I'm so happy to talk to you. And again, yeah, thank you. That's 